listening to www.infinitesmile.org. Enjoy these Zen-inspired talks given by Michael McAllister. times I ever sat in a zendo, uh, I remember how painful the process was. I had decided that it made sense if, uh, if everybody was in fact going to show up to uh, meditate and uh, the idea was to sit in you know, some type of real tight cross-legged posture, I, I figured I'd do it even though my body wasn't really too forgiving. And um, I can recall... Uh, uh, it was a 35-minute 35 35-minute 35 period of zazen, and by minute 10, I was just in excruciating pain. And um, I, of course, you know, went through the whole macho, no pain, no gain type of thing. And, uh, you know, if, uh, if this, you know, 80-year-old guy next to me can do it, I certainly ought to be able to do it. You know, all those real, you know, comparing mind was, you know, just going nuts. And... Um, I did, I did stick it out, and I remember um, the, the damage wasn't permanent, but it, it was pretty intense. <laughs> I did pay a visit to uh, uh, my orthopedist. <laughs> the meniscus didn't tear, is what he said. But, uh, uh, so I kind of went at it with this, this, this attitude. Um, well, okay, so it doesn't have to, it's not about torture. But it's also, it can't be about just relaxing into kind of, you know, bliss state. Take a hot tub and a half bottle of Chardonnay. That's just as good. Why don't you just do that, right? The, uh, the dialogue that this fostered, though, with my teacher was so profoundly rich because where he went with this was, no, no, no. The object is not to be in excruciating pain. It's also not to be overly comfortable, what we're looking towards is a middle way. And this middle way that he was kind of referring to, and what I was kind of pulling from this, was you want to be in a situation where you are forced to behave or relate to your experience from an entirely new perspective. That's not comfortable. You can test this out at a real benign level. If everybody can fold their arms like this, okay? It's the way you'd normally fold your arms, showing that I am cross, right? Okay? Now, switch them. <laughs> it's tricky, isn't it? All right? Welcome to Zazen. All right? This is what it's about. It's about beginning to... Push yourself in a way that's actually going to force you to look at yourself differently. If you've always habitually gone in one particular direction, what's the idea? Change it up. It's so profound to shut up and sit still. And this is the work. What the work ends up showing us is that in this place where we really don't have any place to go, we're forced to deal with our own stuff. We're forced to watch our own internal videos on the screen, okay? We're, we're watching them, and they're not always pleasant. But what we do find is a stability begins to 
show up. You can watch yourself go through these stages quite interestingly. Uh, we start off typically in what we call the gross realm of form. Okay, the gross realm of form, just this here. What what ends up, uh, uh, what we really want in the, this gross realm of form is experience. We want to experience something. Okay, it might be really powerful good. Okay, we might want to avoid what is powerfully bad, but we want to. We engage in the world on the level of experience. We then go from the gross realm into the subtle realm. When we go into the subtle realm. We usually get there because of interest. I was at a yoga class today where this amazing yoga instructor was sharing how we move from this gross body realm of experience into the subtle realm of our interiority because of interest. And I don't want to you know, embarrass him, but he's sitting right there. He's really good this morning, right? Wes, <laughs> kick-ass class today. Nice job, buddy. But we can also then go from this subtle realm into the causal realm. The causal realm is where everything is dropped. Okay? And we get to the causal realm by engaging not interest, which is on the level of mind, and all subtle experience on the level of mind, all dreams, all visions, things like that. Those will all occur because of interest. Okay, that's where we're pointing our mind. Suddenly we get into the causal realm because of wonder. There's a very, very interesting difference, a fine line between interest and wonder. Wonder is going to carry us even further. Wonder is going to carry us beyond the body and beyond the mind into an experience where body itself arises and mind itself arises in this vast open field of awareness. And so that's what I'd really like to encourage. These practices, these meditative practices, work to get us from the realm of you know, experiencing bliss or something like that, experiencing something powerfully good, okay, or avoiding something powerfully bad, into... Thought, the subtle experience, the experience of mind, okay? The visions we might have, the insights we might have on the subtle level, okay? And when we become curious about that, when we become curious about our minds, and we become curious about the experience of body, we then actually go into, once again, the causal realm, the witnessing grace of experience. It doesn't matter what tradition you come from, it doesn't matter what your value structure is. It doesn't matter how good or how bad you are at downward dog. All right? What matters is that you can watch, pay attention, be curious. So as you're sitting tonight, you can begin to, if you will, exercise this causal body, the witness. Okay? By just, huh, wondering. Wow. There that thought pattern goes again. Huh. Wow. As opposed to, there that thought pattern goes again. God dang it. That levels us out at subtle. Because our interest, okay, locks us there. When we're curious, we cannot help but opening. Okay? 
open. Open. Open to this experience. Okay? Your only responsibility here tonight is to just sit still, be quiet, okay? And get curious. Get curious about what it means to be in this body, to have this mind, to be here in this room with all of these souls nearby who are trying to do exactly the same thing you're trying to do. It's amazingly supportive if you can let it in. Okay? One of the most difficult texts I've ever read in my life <laughs> was uh, was the Lankavatara Sutra. Next to, well, War and Peace was tough for me, but I, st- I still think uh, the Lankavatara Sutra really caps it. it Finnegan's uh, Wake. Yeah, don't read that. Anyway, so. <laughs> but the cool thing is, if you have um, an iPad now, you can get the annotated stuff to go with it as you're reading. So when you have like no idea what Joyce is talking about, you can just touch the screen and it gives you this whole series of footnotes so then you can figure out what he was talking about. <laughs> they don't have that with the Lankavatara Sutra though. And um, uh, th- there was this great, this great line that, that um, I, I love that came from it. It's uh, things are not as they appear nor are they otherwise. And it really kind of encapsulates much of what it is that we do as meditators in that what we think is real is not. But it's not that it's not real. Okay? So in other words, the ego, all of the choices that we make based on ego, which generally lead to what we call mistakes, okay? It's not that the ego is not real because in some respects it is. It's very real for each of us, including those of us that, especially those of us that sit in front on cushions. Okay? <laughs> I'm not kidding. Don't, don't think that, you know, because someone, you know, has, uh, uh, you know, done the work or done some work or thinks that they have done work means that they are anything special. That's really critical. It's very good for you to have kind of a discerning eye, um, a healthy sense of skepticism, not so much doubt, but a healthy sense of skepticism. Any teacher, what they're really trying to do is help you help yourself, give you pointers that have helped them help themselves so that you can help yourself. And in the process, we all help each other. So this idea, things are not as they appear, nor are they otherwise, it puts us into this opening, okay? If we really take this in, it puts us into this opening that I would kind of like to discuss tonight. We refer a great deal in this work to the non-dual. The non-dual is neither this nor that. Sometimes uh, we refer to, in, in, I believe it's Sanskrit, neti neti. I am not this, I am not that. I am neither small self nor am I big self. I'm both and, okay? So, getting us into this non-dual space where we see that we are all that arises can be a very, very interesting trick. 
I had a very uh, a beautiful moment that, of course, my daughters never know when they're actually blowing me away with what it is that they say. But we went to see uh, uh, Brave, you know, the, the uh, Pixar film. And um, uh, it was really cool listening to, there was a scary part coming up. They'd seen it before, and so they're seeing it with me again. They're taking me this time. You know, no, Dad, we'll take you. You'll like it. Okay. Uh, and what, what uh, my four-year-old said was, Daddy, don't be afraid. It's just, it's just on the screen. The light is all that's real. <laughs> Cheers. <laughs> the light is all that's real. Similarly, when we start looking at our own spiritual practice, spirit is all that's real. And spirit has the felt sense of what we name love. So that's what's real. The rest, vanity. Okay? So with this in mind, what I kind of wanted to do is was dance about this as, as effectively as, uh, as possible, um, and which means it'll, it'll, it'll probably lose half of you. And if, please open your mouths if, if I'm not... If I'm not you know, making sense. Um, we'll have time for Q and A afterwards, but I'm going to do a little bit of, of, uh, of reading here. Um, I refer in really cliche terms about this work as being climbing up a mountain, letting go of more and more and more stuff until you have so little stuff that you can actually summit the mountain and then coming back home. And so what I wanted to talk about here is coming back home a little bit in terms of uh, what we call the non-dual. So coming down the mountain of spirit, we find that the ego has lost its grip on everything, including its own ability to manage itself. Sometimes it is helpful to recognize this realization as, quote, ego fully seen, unquote. In stories like The Emperor's New Clothes and The Wizard of Oz, both the emperor and the wizard are exposed For what they are. The non-dual traditions all emphasize the value of this exposure. Zen, Dzogchen, Taoism, Sufism, Advaita Vedanta, Kabbalah, and contemplative Christian practices show us that spirit, emptiness, Brahman, God, Big Self, Ein Sof, or the All, is the condition of any and all states in which we find ourselves. This means that no matter where or how we might find our experience of being a self, we are still continually expressing the fullness of spirit. We are, in other words, no longer a dualistic expression of in here versus out there. A me versus a you. Or an us versus a them. No matter what state we're in, whether it be the bliss of meditation or the pain of watching a loved one suffer, spirit is expressing itself and its peace is offered to us continually as the timeless, singular, non-dual flow of everything all at once. Okay? So, words do get in the way here, but they can help us point towards something. And what we're looking at is that there is this opportunity as we begin to sit still, as we, we begin to be quiet, there is this chance for us to begin recognizing everything is an extension of us. 
not in the sense of this is all mine, but rather this is all me because I am not separate from spirit and everything is spirit. Therefore, everything is me. So I wanted to just kind of walk you through something here a little bit. I'm going to go into uh, college lecture time here uh, just for a bit. Um, and just draw it out because I think the map can, I'll, I'll bring it over here. The map can kind of help us. So with the exception of uh, Gina, can everybody see this? Can <laughs> everybody see the board? Okay. So um, I've spent, you guys know what our logo that infinite smile looks like? Yeah? Okay. Looks like a sitter, maybe. Uh, it's actually, these are what we call Enzo circles. That You, you know, you ever seen the Japanese, uh, the, sweep, the sweeping circle that's left open? What we did is we took Suzuki Roshi's and we tilted it this way and expanded it like that. So this is, uh, he's got his, his influence here because he taught my teacher. Uh, but where this, this is very purposeful actually, the way it's designed. And what I wanted to talk about here, we spoke about this at the very beginning. We have gross experiences. Every single person in this room has had a gross experience. Uh, my sense of joy, you, excuse me, my sense is that you've experienced joy. You've experienced love. You may have experienced hatred. Positive, negative, it's still a gross experience, okay? Gross experiences have a really interesting way of catapulting us into the next level. And the next level we talked about earlier is the subtle, okay? The subtle level of mind, okay? Now, one of the great things that uh, some of you may have uh, uh, experienced, this uh, push from gross into subtle where we start getting into vision, we start getting into insight, we start getting into mind-related stuff. Acid has a great way of doing this for people. So do mushrooms, marijuana, alcohol, sex, right? So... The gross level experience, this is why I think the 60s actually were quite helpful for the evolution of our consciousness in some respects. Lots of people decided to risk expansion, and many of them got there. Some of them snapped back, okay, but it still ended up kind of pushing the envelope in many respects. Um, now, while this wasn't really my deal, it was very interesting to have these gross experiences tease out this exploration. I got interested. I got interested in that there seemed to be more. There seemed to be something I was missing. It didn't matter how many bodily experiences I could have. Something seemed out there, right? Okay? And so this can inspire uh, uh, us to go into, if you will, kind of that next level. Now, this, uh, the subtle level of insight and so forth, indeed, there are entire wisdom traditions that predicate everything on it, most do. Okay? Um, you have, uh, you, 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 you can have experiences where you, the Holy Spirit, you're taken over by the Holy Spirit, you're speaking in tongues, you're doing all this stuff where you, you actually have the, you know, the visionary stuff. Satori itself in Zen, the enlightenment experiences I've talked about before, is still on the level of mind. Any vision that you could have is still here. 
But when you begin to wonder about this, this is from interest. And then we go into wonder. Wonder doesn't need an answer. We get into the causal space here. Wonder is just curiosity. Wonder is, huh. Interest is, I got it. Do you understand the difference? I've got it. Huh. Okay? And at this surrender, at this letting go, when we're in this causal space, suddenly now we're in this opening where we can begin to, as I always use the term, we become the seer. We become the witness. We become the noticer of our own experience as it is. We notice our bodies. Our bodies become an experience. Here they're solid. Here they are an experience. Our minds here are something that's just, just it's the be-all, end-all, right? Our brains are here. We can let go of it as well. We start seeing our minds as an experience. We can watch our mind. We can have the experience of actually observing our thoughts. Metacognition, as we say. And that starts occurring into this space. And what's really interesting is when people start looking at this causal realm, this witness, they, they keep thinking it's going, to be, it's going to be a pop. Actually, pops happen here. Most of, your, most of your big bang experiences on the cushion are going to occur at the subtle level. But they point you here. This takes a whole other kind of energy. And increasingly, I'm finding, even though this is kind of at the core of what I try to do as a teacher, I really try to push people in this space, I'm also recognizing that they've got to have these two underneath them before they can get there. You can't really skip here, okay? Um, and, have it, and have it, if you will, kind of ground itself in the groundless spaciousness of who and what you are. All right? That takes some work here. You gotta sit, okay? But once you do, this experience is not so much an experience here, it's a, oh, you've got to be kidding me. Oh, that's been here the whole time. Yeah, we're all awake, okay? We're all awake. It's always already been there. Well, so then there's another level, okay? And the other level, the non-dual level that I was just kind of referring to out here, is not an experience at all. Rather, it's the recognition that everything not only arises in the form of a witness, but the slight contraction of witness disappears as well. That basically what we're starting to see is that it's all one deep singularity. It's all one thing. Did anybody ever remember seeing the, um, the film City Slickers? Okay. There's this great uh, 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 testament to that when uh, Jack Palance gave, he mimicked what the, uh, the master Judy did when he was asked, what's the, what's the meaning of enlightenment? Does anybody know what Palance did? Do you remember what Jack Palance did? In that? Thank you, Lisa. Yeah. That's all he did. It's non-dual. It's all singular. Okay? So we're in this really interesting space here. When we're in the non-dual, uh, uh, sometimes we, we refer to this as the one taste in Tibetan. 
Okay, it's referred to as the one taste. The one taste is when it's all here. It's all me. It's all you. Cuckoo choo. <laughs> right? Okay? It's all one dance that is a reflection of me. And any single uh, sense that there is, like, um, if you will, resistance that there is a versus, as I mentioned in, in my book, okay, that it's me against, okay, that there is opposition, okay, any sense of that is basically ego just trying to jump in and take claim, take charge one more time with feeling, okay? But the realization that occurs here, that pushes us here, that allows this to stabilize and reveal this is always at play. And it's continually nourished. It's continually supported whenever we have this gross bodily practice of sitting still, of shutting up. Right? The shutting up and sitting still allows for this to be observed, which allows all of that to be this curiosity to kind of take over. Things are witnessed. And then we get to the core of the witness itself no more witness no more effort we are ultimately bored with what's going on on the stage play so what do we do we actually leave the theater to where the light is okay and we can always come back into the theater whenever we feel like being entertained and that's kind of how this process kind of how this process works okay so I kind of want to just give you that little rundown. I'm hope, hoping that this is helpful as a map. I've been doing this type of stuff a little bit more recently, and it seemed to have helped. If it feels super academic, I apologize. I just want to give you kind of a map. This is where it goes. This is how, and we're never done. We're never done. Okay? I hit the ceiling just the other day. It was great. Okay? Absolutely hit the ceiling over something really silly cool thing was, despite the fact it was really powerful, it sure doesn't stick. Okay? And I credit that with this little practice of sitting still. Okay? Sitting still is quite amazing. What happens when we sit still? We start seeing that the images aren't real, the light is real. And then we can all be brave. <laughs> yeah? Questions. Yeah. Okay, this is a little curiosity. The logo is this part of part of it, or does that have? Sure, to do? could does be. This, does that mean something? This, the mudra, the hand mudra we use when we sit. Part of the logo too. Does, I always thought it was hand, knees, elbows, or something, and head. Sure. Yeah, it could be that. I don't know that it matters. Okay. The, I mean, this, the, this, this is going to sound so ridiculous. It, it came to me in a dream. Uh -huh. <laughs> I'm not kidding. I was, I was at, I was at a, uh, I was at a retreat, and this guy, um, my roommate, I just, he was just so hilarious. And we both were, at, we're, we're at this ret retreat with this particular teacher, and we're both kind of going, oh god, this guy's a jackass. 
you know, and how he was doing this graphic thing, you know, here's how it works. This is scientific, he kept saying. It's not scientific. It hadn't been tested, but go ahead, pal, you know, let us in on it. And uh, uh, Infinite Smile itself, I think, had been going maybe a year or something like this, and one of the you know, gifts was that here, go to this retreat. And I went to the retreat. Uh, and then this came to me literally saying, this is the way it should be structured. That could be totally wrong. There's nothing scientific about that. It's just, this, this is a map, you know, and continually I've been able to recognize, God, yeah, it does kind of fit with that too. So this is a reflection kind of of the way I interpret it. It does not mean it's right. It just means the way I have interpreted the teachings that have been thrown at me, the stuff that's stuck. That's all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was just always curious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I kind of like that, though. Yeah, because it does kind of look like the hand. Yeah, I just thought it was a little yeah. person sitting there. Yeah. I didn't know it was. Well, yeah, and I think that that, that was kind of the idea that, that we did have. In that non-dual space where the noggin is right there, that's where we meet mm-hmm. all the time. And that's where we can have communication that is not personal. That's where we can have kind of this, the flow of being can be understood and felt. Because you've done this chart before with totally different words. Mm-hmm. Does it go back down to this basic concept? Ladder up the mountain down? All those, all the, well, for gross realm, I've sometimes, I've, I've referred to that as uh, what? Uh, Nirmanakaya, yeah. subtle realm, Sambhogakaya, causal realm, Dharmakaya, non-dual realm, Svabhavikakaya. Try to say that drunk. Svabhavikakaya. Yeah, right. Svabhavikakaya. Yeah. And so we can look at it that way. Uh, yeah. So there are all sorts of ways we could kind of interpret it. Thanks, though. Yes. So, so the gross, I just want to Check out my understanding. Yeah. The gross is your body. You're sitting. And when you're sitting, you can feel joy and sorrow and all of these feelings. That's all part of the gross, right? Mm-hmm. Or, or aching. Or body, yeah. Body. Mm-hmm. And then when you go, that pushes you to the subtle. And the subtle could be like kind of a... a Vision, out of body experience, like sure. visions, mm-hmm. visions, voices, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, or schizophrenia. Or schizophrenia. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I won't go there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you're right, yeah. Yeah, okay, and then somehow when you go to that higher level of subtle and you see these visions and every and all this, then you start to go to another level you can. of wonder. You can. you can. Most people do not. They do not. Most people will actually get very, very stuck and fixated at and subtle. Visions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, no, I've seen it. I know it's true. Or, uh, it says so right here. Right. It's true. Right. This is the word of God. Mm-hmm. Well, what is not the word of God? If God is infinite. God's right. So. That's the non-dual. God is also the gross. And the subtle, and the causal. Okay. Okay. So when we're in non-dual, it's everything. It's the light, right? The, the light. Right. Okay. So, but the 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 um, above the subtle, the causal, causal. Causal. That is just 
you've seen a vision, you've heard voices, and then you wonder where it came from? Or no. no. No, causal is right now, what I want you to do is pay attention, very, very close attention to your fingertips as they are. Don't move. Don't move. Don't, don't move. Can you feel your fingertips? Can you know where they are? Yes. That's the witness. You can't know what your fingertips are unless you pay attention. It's attention. How about your big toe on your left foot? Do you know where that is right now? You're not moving, are you? But you know where it is. Can you feel the seat underneath your tuchus? Yes. Yes, right? That's the witness. Now, is that, is that that's causal. causal? Now, that's you, do that, you do that with your thoughts. You begin to become aware of your thoughts. You will find that they are either a memory, a judgment, or a plan. That's it. Your mind then becomes an experience. You can put your hands down now. <laughs> well, that looks pretty good. It does look good. Yeah. Shock you, money, Buddha. Praise God. Right, right. So, but the non-dual so, is when you actually reach the light that we are all one. That there is no you left. That there is no me left. No me, no you, just one. All being. And in that, you begin to see me and you begin to see you again. Totally differently. Okay? Can you live in that place? You better. Otherwise, you're dead. You're, you're, you're living... Th- Listen to me. Listen to me. You're living there now. You just may not know it. Okay. We're all living there. We're all living in all of these levels all the time. Simultaneously? Of course. Yeah, of course. It's all there. It's never not there. Spirit is never not there. The infinite is never not there. Right? So we're always there. Are we aware of it? Can we embody it? Can we then make conscious choices from that embodied awareness? That's where we become the Buddha within. That's where we become Christs instead of good Christians. Buddhas instead of good Buddhists. Make sense? Yes. Okay. Thank you. But I'll ask again next time. That's fine. (laughs) You're allowed. Hey, how are you? Good. One question I, as I think about the journey of the mountain, I really like the imagery. I, I, realistically, I spend most of my time gross. Some of the subtle, every once in a while, I'll get it casual. Um, casual or let's <laughs> go. Cool. Causal's very casual. I'm witnessing. Oi. Right. Right. But I have a question a little bit about that path because sometimes when I'm moving from gross to subtle, let's say feeling emotion, let's say sadness, you know, friend moving away, I mentioned before, um, and I begin to witness it. But then I decide to, I decide to give myself a little dharma talk. Mm-hmm. Say, but you know what? I, you know, I think of you know maybe suffering comes from you know wishing that things were different than they are, or I'm clinging and I really don't need to wish that life was different. So. Is that ever helpful on your mountain trip? To, like, so I sometimes interrupt my trip to subtle mm-hmm. by giving myself a little Dharma talk about... And so is that the, Any Dharma talk is subtle. Any Dharma talk is going to be a subtle level experience. Okay? Because it's mind-based. All right? You may be talking to the body at gross, but it's a subtle experience. This whole experience that we're having right now it's pretty much a subtle experience. Even if you might be, I'm making it up, but let's just say right now, you're, suddenly it's like, 
you are resting fully in this witness and the next thing you know is body mind have dropped you are no longer there but you're kind of here and everything is playing the one song the uni verse right and then you come right back and you know that that could that could very well happen but but basically the subtle is where most of us live especially in the west okay so the little dharma talk that you have doesn't interrupt anything all i'm telling you is the causal witness is never interruptible it's always already there but can you watch can you watch as the dharma talk happens can you watch yeah can you watch your inner zen master give the dharma talk can you watch the mind can you watch the body can you watch feelings can you observe can you observe can you that's all you're doing in that causal space all right and in that causal space you can see that everything arises you can see that man behind the curtain oh he's so precious he's doing his best he's scared to death so what does he do he compensates by creating an alter ego the great and powerful oz right and we do this all the time to compensate this is why we wear this thing called a personality that mask and what we start recognizing is with this causal opening this witnessing the mask loses it's it's no longer it doesn't fit quite the same way we can knock the thing off and we can be very comfortable staring at each other's stars i hope that kind of makes sense i know i ran you around a little bit there but go ahead give the give those dharma talks give them to yourself witness the feeling check in just continually check in check in that's what we're doing all right Uh, I was teasing Wes about uh, yoga uh, today, but one of the things that was really cool is that I went to a class that um, uh, I knew it was probably going to be a little easier for my body because I'm used to doing some you know pretty advanced yogic stuff. But I was so anxious to kind of get reoriented and you know wait, are my hips actually in the appropriate place here for triangle? You know. And so it was really cool for me kind of do, having that gross experience but the whole time as I was kind of going through it I was very much into observing my body as an experience. Same thing can happen to us when we are doing any type of uh uh, uh any type of athletic event or anything that's uh, demanding on us physically. I don't know if you've ever noticed that when you are you pushed yourself beyond that limit and what happens you just kind of are like okay this sucks the recognizer of how bad this sucks is the witness rest there and believe it or not your legs won't feel your you know the the pain in the same way it's the same way with lamas giving birth now i've never given birth but my sense is that um lama well my wife just pretty much stood up in her stirrups and said don't ever touch me again was what happened after the uh, uh, It's a total joke. I stole that line. I think Bill Cosby said that, but uh, yeah. But the Lamaze type of thing, what is that about? What are we doing? We're actually paying very close attention to our breath. We're witnessing our breath as our body is doing what it does so very naturally. For millions of years it has done this thing. Okay? Pay attention. Pay attention. <laughs> Mark. 
60s, I remember a lot of guys that took acid or psychedelics. Mm-hmm. Went up to the subtle. It's like they never came back. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Were they stuck there? Is it just brain damage, chemical scientific? That's a that's a really good really good question. I think a lot of the a lot of the research that I'm familiar with, and I'm I'm a couple years out of this, so forgive if you know uh, if somebody knows better, please holler. But one of the things that was really interesting about um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the the people who had done a tremendous amount of acid is that they found that there were certain genetic proclivities towards mental illness that were goosed a little bit by acid yet there were all these other people who did not have that particular switch that would go on or off and what happened to them they came back just fine and they could keep doing it right um similarly you look at people i mean and uh any type of psychoactive drug be it an opiate or something like 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 acid or, or psilocybin and mushrooms or peyote or something like that, they all seem to obviously affect the brain quite differently, and they also affect people differently. Uh, uh, the addiction, a uh, very famous one, of um, William Burroughs, who was a heroin addict for, if I'm not mistaken, it was 60 years. For 60 years he was addicted to heroin. He shot up every day, all right? Shot up every single day. But like cigarettes... It's really insidious. You can see people that are 90 years old still smoking, you know, cigarettes, and that oddly isn't what kills them. Um, so I'm kind of going, as usual, I'm going off here. But the the not coming back, I would attribute most likely, based on what I know, more to the genetic proclivity towards a tip that the acid helped to goose, which is exactly why I think if anybody has it in their family, it's probably not a good idea. Probably not a good idea to experiment, uh, you know, um, at that level. Uh, meditation, meditation. Well, I don't know that it's really fair to ever equate meditation and its results with an acid trip or anything like that. I, I think that what meditation does neurologically is profoundly alter the way your brain works and the way it's structured. That we know. A lot of the work that Daniel Goldman is doing at a University of Wisconsin is discovering that. They're looking at this with incredible seriousness right now. It's why is it that we're looking at the occipital lobes of meditators as different than those who don't meditate? That, for me, is reason enough to suggest that this is probably good stuff. Um, um, uh, and I think that, that it's so, I mean, I, here's another cliche. It's so very, very simple it's just not easy. Sitting still and being quiet gives us a different perspective. It allows us to see that, you know, things are not as they seem. Wow. Nor are they otherwise. Back to the Lankavatara Sutra. We can begin to have a greater depth uh, uh, of, of experience and a greater array of choices. Yeah. I remember reading Carlos Castaneda. Yes. Where Native Americans would use peyote and Right, right, and so it's hard for well, it's not. It, it's hard for me to say. It's hard for it's, you, you had too much acid. That's why, yeah, yeah. Well, but see, the thing is, Mark. That's why I, I find it really hard to to say that it is imperative that we just say no. You know, 
I mean, yeah, we could say, no, don't do crystal meth, okay? I mean, yeah, don't, do, don't put anything up your nose. But a lot of these things, I think, actually helped push us culturally into a different space. So while I'm not going to, you know, give some war whoop for, you know, the 60s uh, as being, you know, just this, this bastion of enlightened behavior, I do think it helped push us along in ways that a lot of us may not have expected. I mean, one of the things with the baby, as I was growing up as a child of the 80s, one of the things that I was lamenting was how, for the rest of my life, I was going to have to listen to the Stones and the Beatles. You know? Because that's, I mean, the, the, the baby boom gave this amazing array of, uh, you know, of, of great music, but damn, come on, let it go. You know? And, uh, and uh, I've kind of come around. I, I've, uh, I've, I've reclaimed my... Uh, my Beatles and uh, Rolling Stones uh, appreciation and all the new stuff that came from them. You know? So. <laughs> You're very welcome. Thank you, Mark. No, thank you. Philip. Yeah, yeah. You know who Richard Alpert is, right? Mm hmm. Mm hmm. So he's a perfect example for Jones of going there, coming back, doing everything with Timothy Leary and saying, hey, that's not what it's about. Right. It's about what you're saying. Right, right. Ram Dass, I consider Ram Dass to be one of the great, one of the great contributors to this canon, you know. And by extension, Timothy Leary, although, you know, I, I think he was in a totally different space. It, he, Ram Dass would never have become Ram Dass had it not been for Tim Leary. Exactly. Right? So now we get into the whole teaching of equanimity. You never know. You never know. You never know what experience it is that we are going to have as individuals or as a culture that it, it will actually serve tremendously. You know, well, thank you. Oh, yeah, I saw. I, yeah, and then Seth, and then we'll. Earlier you said uh, the logo just sort of came to you at the retreat. Mm-hmm. And would you say that when you're in the more uh, casual. Cause, <laughs> casual. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. That things do just kind of come to you? It's a flow. Uh-huh. It's a flow. I mean, it does. Utterly. It's a flow. Yeah. Things come, things go, it's okay. You're bored with the performance, and so as a result, there's just this utter relaxation with what is as it is. And so, right, so fresh, freshness comes. Yes. Because you're not locked in. There's something sort of locked in to the gross level. Yeah. Yeah, you're no longer bound by a body. You're no longer bound by a mind. And the slightest tension we call witness has gone away. So there is freedom. And how would any of us act from that type of freedom? Our life becomes art. Mm -hmm. Seth? Is it possible for the causal experience to be uh, negative? Uh, No. Let me explain why. Causal itself, the witness itself, the witness itself watches negativity. Okay? Can you get stuck there? I guess I, I've met people who seem to be constantly in the witness situation. You can see it's not good. Yeah. You know, they can't get, or at least my experience of what they are doing seems to, with their expression, their explanations of what they're doing, their, their explanations of what... Uh, what they feel inside they seem to be just caught 
there. Yeah. I, where you come back at, dude? <laughs> Come out of the cave. Yeah. Well, so so in that, putting it in those terms and in that context, I couldn't agree with you more. And here's why. If you are going to just stay in that witnessing awareness, okay, it sounds to me like you're clinging to non-clinging, which is clinging. <laughs> right? So if you're clinging to non-clinging, you have what we affectionately term in the Zen tradition as Zen sickness. And while you may be, you know, kind of this cool little sage guy or gal who's clinging to non-clinging, you're fairly useless in today's world. I would evaluate that as a negative because I think the gift that Infinite Smile and all these other little sanghas are giving the world right now is that they're saying, hey... Bring it into the world. Don't stay on the mountaintop. What a waste. You know? Now, of course, I might be clinging to that idea. Okay? So what we want to do is create that balance. We create the balance. I think it's imperative that this be in the world. That if this isn't in the world, I think this is the fourth turning of the wheel. You know, and uh, uh, again, I could be totally wrong. I could be utterly romanticizing something that doesn't deserve to be romanticized. But whereas the the mountaintop causal lock, so to speak, um, or even non-dual lock, you know, was uh, 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 maybe something that we would seek out. I think it's imperative that we experience it, but then integrate that with being in the 21st century, whatever our tradition is, because this works with any tradition. You don't have to be Buddhist to do this. This can be any tradition, right? So, so yeah, uh, I would say the witness itself is never negative. The witness observes negativity. The witness is beyond all that. Thank you so much. Thank you for being here. Mm-hmm.